hope by now, having preached so often this last year and, and this year, you haven't got tired of my voice yet, have you? Huh? I hope not, huh? And I'm so excited to share with you, you know, some of the things that uh, during this season, as we're seeking to get to know the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's so good this morning for me to be able to now come, go back to our expository preaching and bring you to the book of Acts. Uh, and to, for the next few weeks, I'm actually going to just pull out um, snippets from the book of Acts that actually deals with the, 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 the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you now to go with me to the book of Acts, okay? Now, you put your finger in the, where the book of Acts is and just leave it there for a while. And I'm going to invite you to um, bow your heads with me and we're going to pray and then I introduce the subject to you. Lord, I pray this morning that you will come and you will speak to us. Lord, thank you for every brother, every sister that has made their way here and or, or go online so that they can sit under the sound of your word. I thank you that your word is there to instruct us, to inspire us, and to transform us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and just do a work of transformation in our hearts even as your word goes forth. Anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, with simplicity, but also with authority. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the common words that we use universally around the world, uh, especially after we catch up with one another, is the word goodbye. Is that right? We all say goodbye to one another, right, at the end of every meeting. But it's interesting for me to discover, you know, that actually that word goodbye it's a shortened form of a phrase. And that phrase actually goes like this. God be with ye. God be with ye. And, th and then they shorten it and, and say goodbye. So every time we say goodbye to one another at the end of every meeting and all that, you know what we're doing? We are literally, it's an expression of a prayer that God will actually keep us safe until we meet again. Isn't that amazing? That actually we say we say goodbye without realizing, you know, how, how powerful actually that is. We are actually saying to each other, may God be with you until we meet again. Now, this morning, we are going to go back to the day when our Lord Jesus said goodbye to His disciples, physically at least. It was a day when He would say goodbye to them physically and then ascend to heaven. And we found all this being described for us in the book of Acts. So I'm going to invite you now to go with me to the book of Acts. I'll read for you the first 11 verses and then bring us into this subject and allow this to speak to us about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 1. I'll read for you the first 11 verses. Follow me as I go along, okay? In my former book, Theophilus, which means to say that there was another book before this, right? So that's now he's re making reference to the first book. Now, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And it's a very important command, and that's why it got recorded here. It says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say wait, right? Wait, wait, wait for the gift my father promised, 
which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. Okay, power, it's an important word. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. Now, this morning, let me firstly introduce to you very briefly the book of Acts, uh, just to give you a bit of that context. Now, the book of Acts is a follow-up to the gospel of Luke because it's the same author. It was Luke who actually wrote the book of Acts, and also the Gospel of Luke. So it was, as it were, the book of Acts, as it were, is the volume two of Luke's writing. Okay? And you notice that it was a letter written to a highly placed Roman official by the name of Theophilus. And that word Theophilus actually means a friend of God. Now, most scholars are not very clear about who Theophilus is, except to say that He's probably someone, if the name is anything to go by, he's probably someone who's at least friendly towards God, okay? And Theophilus is his name. Now, it's interesting also to note that the altar Luke is actually a medical doctor. If you look at uh, Colossians chapter 4, you will find the Apostle Paul making reference to Luke as a medical uh, personnel. And, and to me, it's interesting because Luke is the only Gentile altar in the entire gospel, and on top of that, he's a medical doctor. Now, you put that together, it is like as if God wanted someone who could actually give a precise, unbiased, and accurate account of how the church transited from the Jewish world into the Gentile world. And it's looking for the best person to do it will be a Gentile, and someone who's got a mind, like Luke like a medical doctor, someone with details, someone who will be precise and accurate. And I think Luke is probably the best person to put the book of Acts together. Now, although this book is often called the Acts of the Apostles, if you read the old translation of the Bible, you see this line on top that says Acts of the Apostles. But the reality is this, huh? nine out of the 12 apostles were not even mentioned in the book of, book of Acts. And in fact, the two most prominent apostles in the book of Acts is actually basically the apostle Peter, uh, who is the main character in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12. And then from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 28, it was the apostle Paul who was the main character. So they were the two main apostles that carried us to the book of Acts. So I think it may be a more appropriate name instead of calling it Acts of the Apostles. It's more like the Acts of the Holy Spirit because really it is a record. The book of Acts is a record of what the Holy Spirit did in the early church. Now, as I look at the gamut of Scripture, what I found is basically in the Old Testament, the focus is very much on God the Father. 
in the New Testament, the focus is very much on Jesus, the Son. But in the book of Acts, the focus is a lot on the Holy Spirit. So one of the best ways for us to learn more about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit is to get into the book of Acts. How many of you agree? It's the best place for us to really know what the Holy Spirit does and who He is like. And Dr. Liu actually begins by telling Theophilus that he has written volume one on what Jesus did, right? So you read uh, the initial parts of uh, Acts chapter one. In verse one, he says, in my former book, referring to the, the Gospel of Luke, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Okay, so in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke actually started by talk, writing about what Jesus did. Okay, but now he's writing volume two, the book of Acts, to, to tell us what Jesus continues to do. Right, so what he did was in, in the Gospels was recorded in Luke, but now he's writing Luke, uh, uh, Acts to tell us what he continues to do. Now, the, the only difference right, between volume one, the Gospel of Luke, and volume two, the book of Acts, is this. In between the two, Jesus changed body. Okay, can I put it this way? In between Luke and Acts, Jesus changed body. Now, in the book of Luke, Jesus had a physical body here on earth, okay? And he was going around doing good and doing the works of God, etc. But now in the book of Acts, he has died, resurrected, and ascended. And then he left the church behind as his spiritual body now here on earth. So there is a transition from a physical body now to a spiritual body, which is the church. And that's all of us here. And how many of you realize today we have become the body of Christ? We are His hands, His feet, His eyes, His heart for the world. See, and in, there is that transition that took place. In His physical body, you need to understand, Jesus did everything He did by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, He taught, He ministered, He, he healed the sick, He raised the dead, etc., etc. All this He did by what? by the power of the Spirit. And how many of you know, He continues to do that now in His new body, the church. Jesus will continue to do everything He did because, you know why? The church is also inhabited by the same Holy Spirit. Okay, the things that He did, now He continues to do, also by the Spirit. So the main thrust of the book of Acts is that when people on earth are filled with the Holy Spirit, they can do what Jesus did. Hello? You, uh, in, you are free to say amen if you want to, okay? <laughs> but it's true, all right? And in fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, remember Jesus told His disciples as He was preparing them, he said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. And then he added this, he, he will do even greater things than this because I am going to the Father. Why? Because when Jesus was here on earth, he is limited. Everything that he do is limited by his physical body. He can only be in one place at one time doing this. But now in the spiritual body, which is all of us, the Holy Spirit fills all of us, and now we could be everywhere doing everything at the same time. So how many of you agree this is even greater? Because now there's no more limitation. God, Jesus is with the Father in heaven, making intercessions for our behalf. 
every prayer we pray, all at the same time, can go to God. See, and I think that's even greater. Why? We still have the same Holy Spirit's power. Okay? Now, here's the thing. In chapter 1, the first thing you will notice is right at the birthing of the New Testament church, all three of the Trinity were involved. Okay? And, and, and throughout the Bible, we have always seen the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in action together because three are one. Okay, the best way I can illustrate it now, you know, when you try to illustrate the Trinity, it's almost an impossibility. No matter how you try to an, uh, create analogies, there's always, uh, it can never be full. But let me just kind of make an attempt here. Okay, what all three of the Trinity was working together in the birthing of the New Testament church. Okay, one of the best way I can put it would be, imagine three men walking down the road. Okay, and then these three men, all at the same time, pointed to one house, same house, and they all said, that's my house, and they're all correct. Okay, why? Because one was the architect and the builder of this house. Okay, the second was a purchaser and the owner of this house now, and the third is now a tenant living in it. And when all of them pointed to the same house and said, that's my house, were they all correct? I think it's true. They were all correct. In the same way, we find that God is the architect and the maker of us all. Jesus is the one who purchased and redeemed us. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Okay? And the, the dynamics of the Trinity working together to birth the church. And Jesus is the one who, has, who brought it all together now. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11... Now I bring you into the text itself. We can see all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in action, birthing the New Testament church. The first, you see, the first thing you see is this, is the preparation of Jesus. Jesus prepares them for the birthing. Okay? In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, listen to this. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. One of the greatest things that Jesus did to prepare his church to take over was to teach them. Okay, after his resurrection, he spent 40 days teaching them. Okay, and he taught them from the, from the scriptures. He opened their eyes to understand the laws, the Psalms and the prophets from the Old Testament. How many of you agree? Those must have been wonderful Bible study sessions, isn't it? I think they'll be even more wonderful than having Bible study with, with Pastor Amos, our equipped pastor. You know, I think those are amazing Bible study. Imagine having Jesus himself walk you through his own word. And that's what they did for 40 days. Jesus, after his resurrection, instructed them about the, Holy Spirit, about, about the Scriptures. Wonderful Bible study session. And no wonder the lives of the apostles were never the same after those 40 days. It was transforming time. And here's the thing. Not only did he teach them the Word, but he also gave them convincing proofs that he is alive. And this is vital because our faith, ultimately, brothers and sisters, must be based on truth and not just feelings and emotions. So Jesus demonstrated to them, these are the absolute truths. And that is why 
we have Christian education. That's why as a church, we believe in equipping. We all need to be equipped and empowered to be who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And Jesus prepared the disciples by teaching them. So that's the first thing you see. The son was involved, the preparation of Jesus. Then, secondly, is the promise of the father. You see the promise of the father coming into the picture. Look at the next few verses now. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. That's the promise of the Father, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, as part of his preparation, Jesus reminded his disciples of the promise of the Father. Now, you may ask, what is this promise of the Father? It's actually going back to John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. When Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he told them this in John 7, 37 to 39. Listen to this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood, which is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood and said in loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to this time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, at the point when Jesus was speaking to them in John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit is still not... They, have they received the Spirit at, at that point? Not yet. Because Jesus told them that you would... They, they, this, He's talking to them about the Spirit, which they were later to receive. That means they have not received it yet at that point. Why? Because the condition is this. Jesus must be glorified. Okay, and when Jesus is glorified, then the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And how many of you know, after Pentecost, uh, after Pentecost, now we are in, in after Pentecost, the, has Jesus been glorified? Absolutely. In the book of Acts now, chapter 1, Jesus is already glorified. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is given. Okay, so the promise is that when Jesus is glorified, the Holy Spirit will be given, and those who believe will then be able to receive the, the baptism, the indwelling of the Spirit. And so now in Acts chapter 1, Jesus then reminded his, his disciples, the Father's promise is about to be fulfilled. So don't miss it, but hang around in Jerusalem until you receive it. And how many of you realize that at this point, Jesus is actually outlining for us two different baptisms? There is a water baptism that signifies our repentance and, signif and, and, and signifies our identification with the Lord. But there's, then there is a, a spirit baptism that will bring about an empowering to serve others. And Jesus is outlining these two distinct baptisms. And Jesus then said in Luke chapter 24, verse 29, listen to this one. Uh, Luke kind of expanded on it by saying, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but you stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? Power, from power from on high. You see? So this spirit baptism is for what? It's so that we can be clothed with power from above. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, that's why Jesus said to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for what? Wait for this empowering to come. 
wait for this power to fall from on high. And that's why, brothers and sisters, these are two key words in Acts chapter 1. Please don't miss this. These are two key words in Acts chapter 1 that will change the Holy Spirit from a doctrine, don't miss, from a doctrine to a dynamic, from an exposition or just an explanation to an encounter, turning it from something that we understand in the head to let it become an experience in the heart. Okay, and these two keywords are this. Number one is weight. Number two is power. Wait. Wait for what? Wait for that power to come from on high. And when this happened, the Holy Spirit is no longer just an explanation. He has become an encounter. He's no longer just a doctrine. He's become a dynamic. And that word wait is, is, is a Greek word perimino, which actually means to wait for. Now let me ex- enlarge those two words for you a little bit. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. The word wait means to wait for. But understand this, it is not a passive waiting, but it is an active waiting. Okay, what's the difference? Best, maybe I can put it this way. It's kind of like uh, all of us here are in this room now, right? And you're all waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for me to finish so that you can go out and drink Holy Ground's coffee. You know, so there are two ways that you can wait. One is to wait passively. That means what? You just sit there and say, come on, just finish up you know, quickly. And, and you just sit there passively and just let every word flow over your head. That's one way you can wait. The other is, some of you will be taking notes. You'll be engaging with every word I'm saying. You're processing it in your head. You want, then what are you doing? You're actively waiting. You're still waiting to finish, but you're actively waiting, engaging with everything that's going on here. Are you with me? I think that's the form of waiting we're talking about here. It's not a a sit and do nothing, but it is rather positively seeking after something. That's what we mean by wait here. It gives the picture of someone waiting earnestly with open hands, expecting something to be given. It's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. And that is why you notice the disciples in Acts chapter 1 they were not doing nothing. How many realize that? They were not doing nothing. In fact, they were busy. Busy doing what? Busy praying. Busy studying the Word of God and getting themselves ready for the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what they were doing in the upper room, right? Their minds, their, their minds were in the Word. Their hearts were in prayer. They were waiting actively, anticipating what God is going to do. In other words, it is not just God wanting to give, but the disciples were longing to receive. It is, a, it is not a passive waiting, it is an active waiting. I think this concept is so important that we must capture it. Uh, let me illustrate it another way. Huh? Imagine if you can, some of you may have heard me say this before, but just imagine if you can, four great men of God died and then went to heaven. Now, it's just a story, so don't, don't, don't come after me after that and say this is wrong and that's wrong. It's just a story to make a point, okay? Now, imagine, just for fun, huh? there are four great men of God died and went to heaven. One was Billy Graham, one was Reinhard Bonke, one was Cho Yong Gi, and then the other one was Pastor Singap, you know? Uh, just a story. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not a curse. It's just a story. All right, can you imagine, these four great men of God died 
and then they happened to go to heaven on a day when a lot of people also arrived, you know, at the pearly gate, right? So there was a long queue waiting to be processed to enter heaven. And so there was a long queue there, and then the angel was walking along, and then to his surprise, you see these four great men of God waiting at the, at the end of the queue. So the angel said to them, oh, how can we make you wait like that? You are no ordinary people. You are, you are really man and woman, of, a man of God, you know? So he said, why not we do this? Let me send you down, take you to a visitor's lounge, okay? Uh, so that you, you can wait there com- comfortably. Uh, this visitor's lounge, however, is a little bit lower down from heaven, a bit nearer to hell, and therefore, can be a little bit warm, but never mind. You just wait there, and once the crowd clear, we'll come and get you. And then so they ended up there, four men just waiting, right? And then within two days, the devil sent an angel, uh, sent a demon to heaven. And then the demon said to the angel, can you please uh, come and collect those four guys as soon as you can? Because they are creating havoc in hell. Because this Billy Graham fella is going around preaching and getting all the demons saved. Then this Reinhard Bonke is laying hands on them and getting them healed. Then this Cho Angi fella is organizing them into small groups, you know. So how can? And the worst is this Gyap fella. He's trying to raise funds to aircon the place, you know. (laughs) Now, you tell me, what are those four guys supposed to be doing? Waiting. But it's active waiting. And while they are waiting... For, for, for the time they're waiting for this, they are also actively pursuing something. Are you with me? That's, I think that's the kind of waiting we're talking about. The disciples were in the upper room, they were waiting, but it was engaged. It wasn't sitting around, do nothing. It was actually waiting. They're not just waiting for God, but they're actually waiting on God. Capture that. They're not waiting for God, they're also waiting on God. Another way you can picture it is like waiters in a fine dining restaurant, right? The waiters in a fine dining restaurant, they are not standing around, you know, just waiting for you to finish eating. No, they're not, they're not just waiting for you. They are waiting on you. That while you are, they know you're finished, they're waiting on that, they're waiting for that. But while you're going through that, they are also waiting on you. They are observing but they're not waiting for the customer, they're waiting on the customer, watching every move of the customer so that they could respond. And I think that's the posture of the early church in Acts chapter 1. They were not dictating when this should happen, but they are busy paying attention to what God is about to do. And I think that's the posture of the church in Acts chapter 1. In fact, I think they were busy, the disciples were busy both before as well as after the day of Pentecost. Okay, the only difference is that before the day of Pentecost, they were busy inside the church seeking after God. But after the day of Pentecost, they were busy outside the church searching for the lost. And I think the two both comes together. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit's coming. Before Pentecost, they were already busy in the church. But after Pentecost, they were busy outside the church as well. They're not just seeking, but now they are searching for the lost. See, and Jesus said to them, wait for the gift my Father promised. John baptized with water, but in a few days, referring to the day of Pentecost, you will be baptized with 
the Holy Spirit. And I'm so glad that the disciples did because it was the day of Pentecost that will transform them from frightened believers hiding behind closed doors to become flaming apostles and fiery preachers. The same thing, here's my point, the same thing can happen to all of us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm challenging us, my friends, that we will desire it. We see the preparation of Jesus, and then we see the promise of the Father, which brings me to my final point, which is this. We see the power of the Holy Spirit. We see the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, you notice the disciples then came to Jesus with a very poignant question. Somebody said it this way, and I think I agree, that the questions we ask often betrays where our hearts is. The question you ask betray where your heart is. And the disciples actually came to Jesus with a very poignant question. The question was this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Did you notice this? Jesus was talking to them about the kingdom of God, but what they were thinking of was the kingdom of Israel. God Jesus talking to them about the kingdom of God. All they could think about was the kingdom of Israel. They had a parochial, nationalistic outlook to this whole thing. They were literally asking, you know, Lord, when are we going to have our little kingdom? When are you going to deal with all these Roman oppressors? They've been in putting heavy taxes on us and all that. When are we going to get rid of them? You know, they're literally saying, when is Israel going to regain its former glory? That was what's on their head. You see, this is the hope of the Old Testament. The Jewish people up to that point, what, they are, what are they hoping for? They are all longing to see a spirit-filled king, someone like King David, who will once again ascend the throne of Israel and then bring them back to their glory. That's what they were all waiting for. They were waiting for this Messiah to come, this king that will come and then restore the glory back to their nation. And this is the Old Testament concept of the kingdom of God. And that is why the moment they, they, they recognized Jesus as their Messiah, the first thing they wanted to know was this, how are you at this time going to restore to us the kingdom of Israel? And, and it's interesting because the, the truth is this, huh? they are asking, you know, can we, can we just restore back the kingdom of Israel? The truth is this, it can never happen. And I'll tell you why it can never happen. It's because they don't just need a spirit-filled king but they also will need spirit-filled subjects. If you really want to have a kingdom, you don't just need a king that is spirit-filled, you also need spirit-filled subjects. And that's not going to happen until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was finally poured out on the church. Are you with me, people? You see, the great temptation is always there for us to be parochial and to be inward-looking to have this narrow, petty view of things. Oh, God, bless my family, bless my church, bless my work, bless my dog, amen. And that's all we care. That's all we can see. So what did Jesus do? He did not actually say that he would, He's not going to restore the kingdom of Israel because I think He ultimately will, but not now. In fact, what He said to them was this. He wanted them to have a bigger view. And I think I'm wanting all of us in this church, have a bigger view. Jesus actually said to them, you want power. 
political power, military power, financial power, but I am going to give to you a power that's much bigger. I want to give you a power that will help you to win the world from the inside out, a power that will transform your life, a power that will enable you to live victoriously above sin. I want to give you a power to do the things that I do, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, and, and Jesus then said to them, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that's where he come to the crunch. He says, and you will receive what? Power. Okay, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. And brothers and sisters, that is what they were waiting for. They were waiting. They are supposed to be waiting for this power to come. And when that power comes, that's when they will affect the world. See, and the second word that is critical, one is weight, the other is this word, power. Now, the, the, the word in the Greek is dunamis, which actually means the ability, physical or moral, that resides in a person or thing. Okay, it's the ability, physical or moral, that resides. That means it's in us. And before Jesus ascended to heaven, He gave His disciples already authority. Remember, prior to the day of Pentecost, Jesus already, at the point of His ascension, actually gave them the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Let me read that for you one more time, okay? Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, Jesus came to them and said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go, make disciples of all nations, etc. So what is He saying? What He's saying is that by that point, the authority is already given to Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, we can already go forth to do these things, to, um, to impact the world. But or even though they have the authority, they have not got the ability. Are you with me? They have the authority. All authority is already residing in Jesus, and in His name they can go, but they don't have the ability. When would the ability come? It's when the Holy Spirit was given. And when the Holy Spirit's power came upon them, now they have not just authority, they have ability to actually fulfill the Great Commission. And that word, when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth, that word authority is a Greek word, exousia, which means authority. Okay? But even though they have the exousia, they did not have the dunamis yet until the day of Pentecost. But once they received that power, they will go forth and become witnesses for Him. And then we move from authority to ability. And how many of you know we need both? Authority and ability. You know, I can preach about the Great Commission from, uh, from now until kingdom come, but until we receive the great compulsion of the Holy Spirit, nothing may happen. People know about the Great Commission for the longest time, but until we receive the great compulsion of the Holy Spirit, it's, we have the authority, but we don't have the ability to actually do it. See, the Great Commission needs the great compulsion of the Holy Spirit. But after that, I tell you, the early church was unstoppable. And with that power, you will then become my witnesses. My witnesses. Literally, this power is the power to convince people of the truth of God. We need this power that can help us convince people of the truth of God. And this power in you is like a stone, you know, thrown into a pond. 
there's a, once you throw a stone into the pond, there's a ripple effect. It doesn't just stay with you, but it begins to resonate out. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It begins to resonate out. And it has this rippling effect. And brothers and sisters, my point is this. This is the program for the church. Church can, churches can come up with all kinds of programs, but at the end of the day, this is the crux of it. This is the program of the church. This is the purpose of the church. 2,000 years have passed, and Christ is still waiting for His church to do the one thing He told us to do at His final moments on earth. In between this time, since the time of Pentecost until now, it's been 2,000 over years. And during this period, the church of Jesus Christ have gone on to do marvelous things. We have built bigger buildings. We've run better programs. We know how to post nicer social media posts. We've got deeper Bible studies now. We have raised higher budgets, you know. But the question still remains, are we winning the loss? The question still remains, are we freeing the captives? Are we convincing people of the truth of God? How do they do that? Except people look at our lives and then people look at what we do with the power of God in us. That's how people are convinced of the truth of God. You see? And I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit upon us, give us that power to convince people of the truth. And He wants us to receive a power that will propel us from here to the nations. And this is what the power of the Holy Spirit is given for. And everybody here should say, Amen. You know, the Holy Spirit was not given just for all of us to have a good time, we prophesied, and then we all lie down on the floor for a while, and then we get up, go out and eat potluck dinners. You know, it's not for that purpose. It's not so that we can... I, I think the Holy Spirit is given so that we will pray, we will preach to save the lost. We will intervene, we will intercept the schemes of the devil. We will demand and deliver the souls of men from the grips of the enemy. This is what the Holy Spirit is given for. This is what the power is for. What do we need to turn the members in FCC into fiery preachers? That's what we need, the great compulsion of the Holy Spirit. We all know the Great Commission. What we need is a great compulsion. We all know we have authority. What we need is the ability. You know, I never led a single soul to Christ until I was filled with the power of the Spirit. And that is why the disciples needed to wait until Pentecost. But when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the great compulsion ignited the people and then he thrust them out. And after that, they were unstoppable. What happens when the Holy Spirit is, comes upon us? Jesus actually tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, send me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So what is the Holy Spirit given for? Preach good news, set captives free, open blind eyes, release the captives, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is what the power is for. And this is what we are waiting for. God, give us that ability. I know we have the authority. Give us the ability. Let me finish by just saying this. You know. The last few words that Jesus actually uttered to His disciples, you notice, before He was ascended, the last few words was this, to the ends 
of the earth. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth was the last few words. And then in verse 9, it says, After this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Then you know what Jesus got his disciples to do right at the end? He basically got them to do two things. One, he got them to look out to the ends of the earth. And then after that, he got them to look up as he was taken up before them. That's why I've entitled what I have to share with you is this, as this, right? Looking out and looking up. This must be the posture of the church. We must be constantly looking up to God because that's where our source of power comes from. But for what? So that we will look out to the ends of the earth for the lost. This is what it's for. I don't think this year we come into this theme of the Holy Spirit just so that we all can feel a bit more powerful. <laughs> That's not the point. Powerful for what? It's not just so that we can all tremble a little bit and, and feel God's presence, which we all, we all want. We want the manifested presence of God in our midst. But for what? It's so that in the end, we will not just look up, but we will look out. That's the posture of the church. God make us men and women who are not just looking up, but we are looking out also to the ends of the earth. Uh, I, and, and you know, this is the, the heart, I think, of the Father for us this morning. That we recognize that God didn't call us to be a church just so that we can have a great place to meet in, a great worship, you know, have great teaching and study the Bible and all of that, but ultimately for what? It's so that we can make a difference in this world. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus was born on Christmas Day, the angels said, come and look at the manger. And then when Jesus resurrected, the angels said to the disciples, come and look at the empty tomb. But when Jesus was ascended, the angel appeared, right, to the looking disciples. They were all looking and watching Jesus go. And then the angel said, don't look anymore because he will come back again. It's already telling us that one day Jesus is going to come back. The same way that you see him going, he will come back again. But in the meantime, what do you do? Stop looking, but get on with the task of evangelism. Get on with the task of winning this world for Christ because this is what the power of the Holy Spirit is given for. We already have the authority, the exousia, but we need the ability, the dunamis. And we say, God, fill me afresh. If we don't feel, if we feel like we are powerless sometimes, don't even have the bonus to share the gospel with someone who you know desperately need the gospel, I think we need to ask God, Empower us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us the bonus so that every opportunity you open for us, we will be there to share your gospel. Amen. May God bring all of us as a church into this posture of looking up and then looking out. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, this morning as we bring this to a close I'd like every head bowed, every eyes closed, and for you to re recognize afresh this, this afternoon.
And even those of you who are watching online, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us? I believe this is the posture of the church. God has called us and filled us with His Holy Spirit so that we may not only look up, but we will look out for the lost right to the ends of the earth. You know, I was preparing for our message today and one of the things God put on my heart is that may 2021 be a year that God will give you an opportunity, personally an opportunity for you to actually share the gospel with somebody. And I don't know if you would join me today and I made that a promise as I was preparing for this that God, would you give me an open door this year personally? Not as a preacher, not as an evangelist or anything, but as a person. Give me an opportunity where I can share the gospel with someone. Give me that opportunity. But why don't you believe God together with me? That God will give us a harvest of souls, not because of some great production that you put out, not because of some great program you put out in the, from, on, from the stage, but because God planted you where you are, and if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you that bonus. He's going to give you the ability to convince others of the truth of God. And then when that door comes, that opportunity comes, whether in your school, in your office, would you have that bonus and that readiness to say, God, use me. Share the gospel and see what God will do. I think a harvest of souls can come, not because of great programs, but because of ordinary believers like you and me playing out this role. That's my dream for myself. I pray your dream, you get a chance to share the gospel with somebody this year personally. Amen. If this is your desire, I will really pray for you that God will use us as a church to do this. I'm going to sing this song in closing and then I want to pray for us. Hallelujah. So make this your commitment as we sing. Thank you, Lord.